Welcome back for another week. Our learning is dedicated Lucy Mayan Rina D, a and for all in need. I feel almost like we have to say Barak We made it. We we finished the round Parakud bed. And we got into eight, nine weeks of Prakim, where the content was not so simple. It was very geographical. It was very broad. There wasn't really much of a story. And uh, Baruch Hashem, we, we made it. This week is the last week like that. And then the final three weeks of Sefer Yoshua are just real narrative again, real stories. So thank you for sticking it out. Thank you for your feedback, and uh, I in, I look forward to continuing to learn together. This week, we're going to talk about the Arei Leviyim. Last week, we discussed the Arei Miklat, the cities of refuge. And this week, we're going to discuss the cities of the Leviyim, which were spread throughout the land of Israel. There are 42 of them, spoiler alert. The question is, what's the purpose of these 42 cities? So if you take a look at the picture on the right. The, this is from the back of the art scroll, Mikro Gedolo. It explains us what the actual city looked like. So in the center, you have the city, and then around it, you have some green space. Then you have some open space, a migrash. And then in the outside, you have fields. So the question is, what's going on here? What is the purpose of this? So one could suggest that the purpose of this is to have some green space spread throughout the land of Israel. Everybody has their fields, they're growing, 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 but to have some open green space where people could stroll, people could enjoy, people could relax, perhaps that's a reason for it. It does seem hard to imagine, although maybe nowadays when cities are so big, you could appreciate it a little bit more. It is a little bit hard to imagine that that really was what was going on here, and that was the motivation behind it. So what I want to try to understand today is what were we supposed to get at with these array alivium? So let's take a look at Pasagalim. The heads of the Levium, their families approached Elazar HaKohen and Yoshua Benun and the heads of all the tribes of B'nai Yisrael. They say, listen, Moshe Benu promised us through the word of God that we would get cities to settle in with a migrash for our animals. And so the Levium gave from their nachla. I'm sorry, B'nai Yisrael gave from their Nachla to the Levim. What did they give them? Al Piyashem, based on what God had said, these cities and their open spaces. Once again, we see it's a testament to the Jewish people. There's no pushback. They don't have a hard time. Yoshua lives in an era of peace and of easygoing natured people. There's really very little strife, which is something that certainly was very much a part of the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, and it, it will certainly be a part of the remainder of Nach. Very rare that we'll have a peaceful 
era where whatever the king or leader says goes. But okay, they get it, they give it, they do it. Pasuk Dalid. So, if you take a look at the chart on the left, we talk about how the cities are distributed. And how are they distributed? The Kohanim are going to get 13, and the Levium will get the remainder of those. So, what will they get? They'll get 25, 35, 35, and 13 is 48. This includes the Arei Miklat. The Kohanim get first. And where do the Kohanim um, get their land? So the Kohanim come from Kehat. You know that Aaron was from Kehat, but Kehat had um, more fat, more children. Amram was one of them. Amram gives birth to Aaron Cohen. That's the, the, the lineage of the Kohanim. But he also has Moshe Rabbeinu. And Amram has several brothers. So his brother's children are also part of Kahat. So if you take a look at the map on the right, it's a great map. It does not have the accuracy of the previous map of where the cities are. But what it does beautifully is it, it shows you each Shevet what they got. So here it is. We were in the area of Yehuda, Shimon, and Binyamin. And that is in the deep brown. And that's the descendants of Aaron from Kahat. What did they get? They got 13 cities. And the the remaining people in Kahat from the tribes of Ephraim and Dan and Chatsi Shevet Menashe, so they get 10 cities, four, four, and two. Okay, it it makes sense. And what's, what's really nice is that families are kept together. So Kahat has the straight land from Yehuda all the way in the south, all the way up until the area of Menashe. And then comes Gershon. So, so Gershon gets 13. How does that work out? Yisachar and Asher and Naftali and Chatsi Sheva Menashe that gets up to 13. Okay, so where are we at? We, we're talking about Gershon. Gershon is the northern part. So we see Asher, Naftali, Yisachar, and Chatsi, Sheva, Menashe. What does that come out to? Four and four is eight, 11, 12, 13. Okay, beautiful. So Levnei Merari, Min Lemeshverotam, Mimatei Ruvein, Mimatei Gad, Mimatei Zvulun, Arim, Shtemesei. And they... The last ones are 12, Ruvain, God, and Zvulun. And that, that's you to the magic number of 12. Why Yisachar and Zvulun couldn't have flipped so that Ruvain, God, and Zvulun would be more of a contiguous area for Mirari? It's a great question that I have no idea the answer to. If you have an answer, please let me know. Pasuk, right? No, B'nai Yisrael. So what happens? B'nai Yisrael give to the Levim these cities, these 48 cities, and the Migrash, the area for them to live in, the fields and all that, just as God had spoken to Yad Moshe, Ba'goral. They gave it into the Goral. Now that's an interesting question. What does that mean, Ba'goral? Why Ba'goral? 
answers a beautiful answer in the Dat Mikra, where he says, How are you going to know who's going to give what? Now, if you take a look here, somehow it works out that the the distribution, not 100% even, two, four, six, eight, nine in Yudin Shimon, they have to give up nine. Naftali only has to give up three. How, how does that work? How does that come out to equity? It's done through Goral. So, in the Torah, that's actually not clear that that's how it's going to be. It, it tells us that it's given based on um, the more space you have, the more cities you'd give, the less space, the less the less cities you'd give. Okay. So, it appears as though this is um, what Moshe Rabbeinu was, said to Yoshua Balpe. Not everything was said outward in the words that come up in Tanakh. Some of them are things that we, Balpe, were told not written down. Also, understand that not all cities are exactly the same. So if you look and say, well, everybody but Naphtali and Yehuda and Shimon actually give four cities, but we know that their numbers don't even the same. We have bigger Shvatim and smaller Shvatim. So how does it work out? So that's where the Barbanel answers, that it's actually based on the quality. So Yehuda and Shimon, who are rich in numbers, at least Yehuda is, they're going to have to give out better cities and perhaps a smaller Shevet, a less important Shevet would have to give. Okay, so that is our take on the Pesukim. And now, we're actually, we should go back. Let's go back to the map over here. We're not going to be able to see everything just so. Um, I'll try to believe that there, send out this map at some point during the week. But what were the cities? We're starting down south from B'nai Yehuda, B'nai Shimon. These are the cities that they get, B'Shem. They're, they're the ones that got it. Who? It's the the the, the, Sid, the sons of Aaron from Kehat, who are down south. They get Kiryat Arba, which is Aviha Anok, either the father of the giant, or perhaps his name was Anok, um, which is Chevron, Bahar Yuda, Migrashasiota. So it is Chevron right there. Okay? But stay here with the Chatziran and Tulukalev and Yufuneva Huzato. And who, who, who gets the, um, whose city is this coming from? It's coming from Kalev. Kalev got the rest of the city. So you shouldn't think that Kalev lost all of Hebron. Hebron, from anybody that's visited, you know, it's actually um, quite large. Um, so a portion of it, a couple thousand Amot, that went to the Arelevium, but the rest of it went to Kalev. And to Aaron HaKohen also was given the Ir Miklat in Hebron. And Livna and Mikrashavat, Yatir Migrashavat, Ashtomavit, Migrashavat, Holon Migrashavat, Vir Migrashavat, Ayin Migrashavat, Utah Migrashavat, Bechemat Migrashavim, Tesha, Mehem, 
nine cities. Okay, so if you take a look, you'll see, you could, even if you could just make out the dots, the dots are actually somewhat spread out. What is the purpose of spreading them out? That the Ariel of Yim should not be concentrated in one area, but everybody should have access to the Ariel of Yim. Now, I, I'm, I hope to pop back to this map in just a moment, but let, let's look ahead over here, because it's, it's, I think, a fair question. Fair question. Chavron, first of all, has mentioned three times. Your Miklat, Kalib City, and it is a regular city of the Livium. Which one is it? It's mentioned three times. So I believe I heard from Rabbi Alex Dizel's suggestion that Chavron was quite large, and it was used for all of these different purposes. Okay. So that's a nice, a nice possibility. Also, interesting to note that what is the very city to be given to the Levium? Of course, we know it's Chavron. We were just told Kiryat Arba, Pasuk that we just read. Well, who is the first person to take land from Herod's Canaan? First one to get Nachlo is Kali And what does he take? He takes Chavron. Why is it that Chevron is first in both cases? So it happens to be that there's a certain significance to Kalev being the first to take, and therefore his land is also the first to be given to the Levian. But maybe there's also an additional component to it. Chevron has this quality to it. It is a mechaber. It connects. Somehow there is a connection to the Jewish people by giving Chevron first. Okay? Very, very nice. So now we take over from Herek Pasuk Yod Zion. Let us flip back to the map once again. Givon and Geva, which are not too far from each other. Um, and then afterwards, Anatot and Almon. Those are they're the four cities. And what they have in common is that these 13 cities, which represent the southern part of Israel, are the Ariak Kohanim. Interestingly, it should be, on, should be nice to see, that also are the cities that are closest to Yerushalayim. It will give them access to Yerushalayim. How that worked, there must have been Kohanim spread throughout the land nonetheless, because it's hard for me to imagine that if someone was living all the way up in Kedesh Naftali, if he had to give Trumot and Mysore, he had to do something like that to the Kohen, that he had to say to himself, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? How am I going to get it to the Kohen? Now he has, he's going to have to bring it all the way, all the way down. Hard hard for us to think, to see that. So, okay, the Kohen must have spread out at some point in time. But interestingly, Anatot, Anatot is the famous city of Yirmiyahu Hanavi. Yirmiyahu Hanavi, when we are introduced to him at the beginning of Parak Aleph of Yirmiyahu, which is one of the Haftodas leading up to um, Tishabav, we're told that he is a, a man from Anatot. He's a Kohen, a Kohen from Anatot. Now, what's nice is Anatot is walkable to Jerusalem. It's not a very, not a very long walk, perhaps not a smart walk in the world we live in in 2020. 23, but certainly in the times of Yirmiyahu, was the stone's throw to Yerushalayim, and you were able to travel quickly to and from Yerushalayim if you lived in Anatot. Almon is actually right across from there, um, and that's another one of the cities. What is fascinating is that if you go today and you want to visit Anatot, there is a city. It's a new, it's a, it's a, a, a real city with Jews living in it to this, you know, nowadays 
called Almon, and they are right next to each other. In fact, there is a really nice hike that I still have yet to get to um, since I made Aliyah, but uh, a good friend of mine told me that we hiked it together when we were 16. So, uh, and that is uh, Ain Prat. Ain Prat is right behind Anatot. It was originally on the schedule for our end of Siam uh, for the first round through, and uh, last minute we we uh, audibled and went to her our Grizim instead, but perhaps we'll have the opportunity to go to Ain Prat to Anatot together Mir Hashem in uh, in just about two and a three quarter years, two and a half years. Okay, so that's where we're at there. What about the rest of the family? They find themselves in Ephraim. Now, remember, Ephraim has a lot of that mountainous range. It goes all the way to Shechem. So there's a lot of area that's harder to find those cities. So it should not be surprising that the cities are going to hug the road, the road that goes through, which nowadays we, we call the 60, that Derech Ha'avot that goes through Shechem and up north, it makes sense that that's where we're going to be. Okay, those are the four cities. Dan, remember, is the area the west of Ephraim. So they're going to have Ayalon, even though that's south of Kezer, at Rimon, those are their cities. Those are those are their cities. We have another Gat Rimon. Okay. And that is Kahat. And we've now taken us kind of to the more than the middle part of Eretz Yisrael, moving northward. So So we have up there, we have a Yarmut. We know that there's another Yarmut all the way down south that is in the Beit Shemesh vicinity. This is a different Yarmut. And what about Naftali? At Ir Miklat, Ir Harutzech, Kedesh Bagaliel, Vimigrosheha, at Chamo Dor, Vimigrosheha, Kartan, Vimigrosheha, Arim Shalosh. We have three. Okay. Kalaria Gershunin, the Meshukotam, Shosha Seir, Umigrosheim. Gershon got 13 cities. Yaknaam is, you can still visit it today. It is not far from Haifa. And now we're moving down south on the eastern side of the Jordan, and we have the area of Ruvain. Actually, we're all the way south. 
Okay. That's the 12 cities. There are 48 cities. And remember, each time it tells us, the Migrash, that open area is there. And God gave to Israel all the land that he had promised them, and they settled there, and they conquered it. And they won. Everything is nice. Nobody stands in their way. Now, we know that that's actually not exactly um, the case. That It's a little bit more complicated than that. But Bigadol... Everything is peaceful. Everything is good. The Malvin points out that there were wars, but they won them through the Yad Hashem. They shouldn't think that it's peaceful. It's not peaceful. But they win. Why? Because they have God on their side. All the good. Everything that had been promised came true. Beautiful. So we still have to understand, what is the purpose of these 10 cities? of these 48 cities. What is the purpose of the Arei Levim? So to understand that, we have to understand what is the relationship between the Levi and everyone else. Parsha Korach. Hashem says to Aaron, I want you to know, Aaron, you will not get land in Eretz Yisrael. And you will not get any portion at all. I am your Chelek. I am your Nachal You don't need a field because I am the one that is going to be your portion. What's the relationship between the Levi and everyone else? So we know, based on Parsha Korach and other Pesukim in the Torah, that the Levi and the Kohen, they are the recipients of Chumot and Maisot. Why are they getting Chumot and Maisot? That is their 10%, that is their portion that they get. It is payment, it is reward, it's intended to be their payment and reward for what they're doing. What is it that they're doing? What is it that they're doing? What are they supposed to be doing? So we always view them as they're the Kohanim. They are the Levim. They're the ones that are the movers and the shakers in the Mishkan and eventually the Beit HaMikdash. Except that if we look at the, the Navi's critique of Shevet Levi, later on, in the times of the Nevi'im, towards the end of Bayit Rishon, there's a critique on Levi. I don't know if everybody could appreciate my, uh, my visual on the left, but that is a pair of Levi's jeans. What is the critique? What is the hole? What is the problem? What is broken with Shevet Levi? So you would think, if their primary goal, their primary purpose is to be what? The teachers of Kalal Yisrael, I'm sorry, the Kohanim and the Leviim in the Mikdash, then that should be the critique. And yet they are also, they have a second job, and that is to be teachers. Love that graphic. I have to tell you again, and it goes right through the boys' ears. Which one is the, does the Navi critique them for? That's right. They're bad teachers. In order for the Jewish people to be successful, in order for Shevet Levi to do their part, in order for them to earn their keep of Trumot and Maisrot 
because they don't have Nachla, because Hashem is their Nachla, they're supposed to be the teachers of Kali Yisrael. The Nevi'im blast them and say, you didn't do a good job. You didn't teach them. That's what you were supposed to do. That's the critique. And that is their job. But they're supposed to work together. And that is, I want to finish with this idea. What is it exact? What's exactly supposed to happen? The Kohanim and the Leviim are supposed to work in hand with the Jewish people. The people get the land. They have Anichel Hashem is their Chelek. Hashem is their Nachla. But they're supposed to work hand in hand. How exactly does that work? So I want to share with you a beautiful idea. Unfortunately, I don't remember Mephorosh that says this. But Rav Bagno spoke this past Shabbos in Shul. He asked the question about the mitzvah of, of Ribbit. Rebus, Ribit, interest. How does interest work? And why is interest so bad? So of course, the idea is, first of all, that you're achicha. It's my brother. I, I understand if I'm lending money to, to someone who's not my brother, who's not my family member, then what should I do? Yeah, I could take interest. But if it's a family member, how can I do that? It's wrong. And of course, Claudius Yisrael is family. Someone, um, someone that feels they are connected. I am truly family with you. I, I, I can't take interest. So it works. So he said, okay, that's fine. How does it work? There's this give and take. I give, you take. So how does it work? How exactly are we supposed to understand this prohibition of interest, this idea that we are brothers? And I think big adult, how are we supposed to understand the reality? So everybody might have experienced this story. You're in a rush. In the middle of doing something, or you're busy in your house. There's a knock at your front door. You gotta stop what you're doing. You look outside your door. Who is there? There's a guy that's giving, that's collecting. I actually had this just a week ago. Uh, it was a crazy busy night. I'd come back from Marib. I heard voices, not in my head. I heard voices at, t- at the top of my steps. And there were these two Mishulachim who had come, who had gone to my next door neighbor, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and uh, had just finished there. And here it is, I'm coming up, and they look at me. I probably normally would have just taken out a couple dollars, given it to them, and done. But they said, can we sit down with you? All right, well, I don't know what's going on in my house. Let's go sit outside. It's a beautiful night. We sat down for quite some time. And I'm sitting there with them for like 15, 20 minutes. Told me that what each one told me their separate life story, what they're doing. This one's a shaliach from Chabad in Haifa. This one is a shaliach in the Ukraine. And then they ask for money. And then they give me brachot and brachot and brachot and brachot. It happens to be that even though it was a crazy night and I had a lot on my plate, I was taken to these personalities. Um and I and I I heard them through, answered Amin in all the right places. But what happens when it's not one of those people? It's someone who's annoying, it's pushy, they have no charisma, and they're just in your face. They're bothering you. So you give them the dollar, and what do you want to do? You just want to close the door so you can go on with your life. But Bagno shared such a beautiful idea. He says, you have to understand that there's a reciprocity. You should not think that you're only giving 
They're giving two. Perhaps that bracha, you don't know where that bracha is going and how powerful that bracha is. And if for nothing else, what are they doing? You who have been blessed, you have been blessed with material wealth that you can afford to give. They're giving you the opportunity to give. You're giving him life, but he's also giving you life. It's a, it's a reciprocal relationship. You should not think that the only giver in the relationship is when giving the money. The other person is giving a bracha. He's giving an opportunity. He's giving something back in return. That is a beautiful idea. That's what the Leviim are supposed to be doing. The Leviim are there not just to take. Yeah, they take 10%. It's rough. That, and that's not necessarily your taxes to the king. It's your taxes to the Levi. They're taking. But what are they giving? They're spread out in 48 cities, the Kohanim and the Leviim, because they are the teachers. And that's what's supposed to happen. And that's, that's unfortunately where the frustration comes along as time goes on. The Jews look and say, you're a role model. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't want to learn from you. I'm going to withhold my chumos and my source. And the Levium said, we want to teach. But how can we teach? We can't afford. And so this goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But in the perfect setting when everything is going just well it's that each side understands that they are giving something to the other i am there to teach you i am there to inspire you i am there to help you survive the rambam explains in his commentary to the mishnah in seder's rayim that one should not think that this is limited simply to the Kohanim and Levium. But everybody has this opportunity. If a person wants to dedicate their life to Torah, they want to dedicate their life to Hashem, and they want to dedicate their life to Chinuch and teaching others, and there is a shortage of teachers, so people should need to, to step up to that. They should, they should jump on it. And they should understand that their life is not going to be always simple and they won't necessarily make as much money as fill-in-the-blank profession. But they are becoming closer to God. They're allowing others to become closer to God. That's beautiful. But what if a person says, that's just not for me. That is not what I want for my life. That's fine. But then their job is to fund and support those that are doing it. It's both are, in, are essential. When both happen, Jewish people are in a very special place where education is offered to all. And it is not something where Torah is a uh, inheritance only of the elite. But everybody has the ability to come closer to God. Everyone has the ability to learn. Everyone has the ability to read. These were novel ideas that did not exist in other contemporary societies. Claudius Saul was leaving an empire of Egypt, which was a powerful empire. They were going to create their own empire, not a powerful empire, 
but an educated empire and an empire where everybody had the opportunity to be successful. That is the message. That is the purpose of the Arei Halavim. Thank you once again for joining us. Once again, a, a small plug at the end. We are almost done with Sefer Yoshua. Please, please, if you're enjoying, share with others so we can continue to grow as we learn Sefer Shoftim. Have a great week and keep walking in the ways of the prophets.